Happy Father's Day. Everybody doing good? What an incredible uh, worship experience that we had so far. How many love it when you just see a bunch of guys up there singing and, and giving their best with their talent and their voices? We got, some, we got a squad here. I don't know. Yeah, give it up for them one more time. So proud of them. They did incredible. Uh, there's, there's some real talent there, so I, I'm so blessed. Thank you for doing that, Pastor Josh, and making that special for Father's Day. Well, again, happy Father's Day. We're in a series entitled The Hoods, and I told you we'd be doing this from motherhood to fatherhood. Today's the culmination, part six, the end of the series. Everybody say, no! I figured this is, this is the service of weird noises. Um, but today's the culmination. We're going to talk about fatherhood, but I'm going to just open up in a word of prayer. Would you guys join me as we do? Father, I thank you so much for the Spirit of God in the place uh, where your name abides. This is where we exalt you. Your word says if we lift Jesus higher, you will draw all men unto yourself. And I thank you for this opportunity to worship you, God. But now we're going to get in your word. We're going to break bread with the living word of God. I pray that you make it alive in our spirits, Lord. The word says about itself, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder. Soul and spirit, it's a discerner of the joint, the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would live, on act, live and act on this word today that you're going to give us and use me. May the words that come out of my mouth be helpful, useful, edifying, and encouraging fathers and men and women, boys and girls in this room, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Turn to your neighbors say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because we're about to break bread. We're about to get in the word. Amen. So I'm going to uh, date myself a little bit. I'm going to sound a little older than I look. Thank you, Jesus. But uh, if you remember the show, anybody remember the show, Father Knows Best? Anybody? Five people. Praise the Lord. This is the young crowd. Anyway, there used to be this show. It actually came out in 1949. I wasn't alive then, so don't think that. Uh, but th th it started as a radio show, something like 160 episodes, and, and then it kind of rolled into TV. But I, I, the thing about this show that I, that I remember is the phrase, Father Knows Best. And though this, this message is, you know, fatherhood, if it was subtitled, it would be Father Knows Me Best. Father knows me best. God the Father knows me best. The manufacturer, the creator of all things knows me best. Can I have an amen? amen. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack this big idea that's connected to that, and that is the one who knows me best loves me most. The one, five people, five people are excited about that, but the one who knows me best loves me most. Amen. Now, you, the reason you probably hit pause or you didn't get as excited about that is, one, the coffee wasn't strong enough. Two, uh, you maybe deep down don't necessarily believe that fully or there's a certain uncertainty about it or it hasn't been grasped fully and comprehensively. And so because you don't feel that, sense that, have appreciation for that, um, it affects you. And I'm going to get into that in increasing degree as we go forward. It reminds me uh, of an experience I had. There's a, a, a wonderful woman in our church, a leader for many years. Her name's Lori Dudley. If you've been greeted by her more times than you probably realize. She's been at, working the front door of our church for 20 years. Um, she looks like she's 25, so somehow she does that. But she and I were ministering to um, a girl that um, was a Christ follower who was willfully deciding to kind of walk away from her faith because of some unfortunate things that had happened to her. And so we were trying to a rescue op. We went over her house together, 
and, and I was sitting down talking to her. Lori was my witness. And I remember getting to this certain point in the, um, in the encounter with her. She was very resistant. And she said, PD, here's the thing. I know God loves me, but I feel like the runt of the litter. In other words, I'm in the family, like I get it, but like I'm the outcast. I'm the black sheep. I'm the one everybody else is together and close and feels the affection and affirmation of God, but not me. I'm, I'm in, but I'm not, I don't feel in. And I think some people live like that. I think people feel that in their relationship with God. And maybe to some degree, that's you at times or even in this time and season in your life. And the reason for that is because the lens that you look at God through is affected by the earthly father you're connected to. I think you're pondering, but that was a good place for amen. In other words, I'll say it like this. Your... your, your your view of God is affected by your view or experience in your relationship with your earthly father. Your heavenly father, earthly father, there's this connection. It's, 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 it's altered, affected by that. And so for some of you, your relationship with your earthly father, to some extent, for some of you, I'll just say, wasn't that good. Or it had issues at different times. And let's just, can we just be frank? Can we be real? Like, we all come from dysfunction. We all got issues. For you new people, we have a joke here. If you don't think you got an issue, that's your issue. Okay? So, now on the other hand, my daddy used to say, then there again on the other hand, such a crazy phrase. On the other hand, some people overcompensate and they, they, have, a, they have a father wound or issue, but they behave like, what's the big deal? It's no big deal. I'm fine without a man in my life. I'm fine without a strong role model. I don't need a father figure in my life. I don't need my dad. He didn't do this for me. He didn't do that for me. I'm good. I'm cool. Let, let, me, let me give you an illustration. It's going to sound a little weird at first. And it's because I'm a YouTube junkie. And if you were to see my homepage, it, it, I'm an eclectic learner. I've got, like, professional arm wrestling. Don't get me going on there. Like, I could tell you all the characters in that field, okay? Just a recent obsession in the last. Now that I can't power lift anymore like I used to, I think I want to be a professional arm wrestler. But anyway, and, and you'll see, like, uh, you know, Elon Musk stuff in there. And then you'll see prophecy stuff, end of the world stuff. And then you're going to see. But one of the things that's always going to creep up in my, in my homepage is, like, animal stuff. I love the animal kingdom. In fact, my family laughs at me, but like when I want to relax, like on a Sunday afternoon, I'll just like go to National Geographic, sit in my chair, and pass out to like just animal stuff. Okay, so confessions of a strange pastor. And so one of these things that came up was this story about these delinquent elephants. <laughs> no, it's really going to have relevance, I promise. So these delinquent elephants of South Africa, there were these two national parks. Uh, one of them was called Kruger National Park. And another one was called uh, Plainsburg National Park. At Kruger, there were all these elephants that once were on the verge of extinction, but now they're, they, they, the population had grown so much that there wasn't enough room for them. And so they had a dilemma. They didn't know what to do with all these elephants. So they had to do something drastic. And they contemplated some pretty horrific things uh, from a humanitarian standpoint. But then they came up with a solution we're going to bring these helicopters in. We're going to get these huge harnesses. We're going to put these heli helicopters to work, harness these elephants, and try to transport them to another reserve. 
So you can imagine this. So they get, they realize they got to start with the top of the food chain. So they get these huge father figure male bulls and they put them in the harness. But the, the elephants were too big. The harnesses would snap. It didn't work. And so they're like, they don't know what they're going to do. So they decide, well, I think it would hold a smaller elephant. So they decided to separate the fathers from the children. And they transported juvenile elephants from one Kruger to Plainsville National Park in South Africa. And one by one, they're moving them over there, put a couple of mothers over there because somebody had to clean their room. And, <laughs> and then they leave the other male bulls, father figures behind. Okay, the experiment seems successful only to find later that there was another problem that surfaced on the reserve that they were transported to. There was a near extinct population of white rhinos that all of a sudden started showing up dead everywhere. In fact, in one occasion, in a very short period of time, they found 30 white rhinos, a very rare species, dead. And they assumed immediately there had to be poachers going for the, the special attributes of these white rhinos, in particular their husks, but it wasn't. It wasn't them. It was, and they were killed by these elephants, these juvenile elephants. They had been bludgeoned and indiscriminately, viciously killed by these elephants. So now they have a huge problem because this can literally change the ecosystem of that area. It's a major, they don't know what to do. Are they going to kill off these elephants, which they had contemplated before, decided not to do? And then all of a sudden, somebody had this novel thought. What did we do that caused this uncharacteristic behavior in these elephants who normally would never do something like this? I know what one person said they, they, we did. We removed the father figures from their homes. And so they thought, let's, let's try an experiment. Let's see, is there any way we can get these fathers back near the children? And they figured out a way to build a bigger harness. And so they got a bigger helicopter, a bigger harness, and they began to transport one, two, three, four of these huge bull father figures to this uh, other national park. And listen, upon arrival, as they touched down, the harness was released, and then the helicopter went off. They made a resounding sound, these elephants. And almost instantaneously, the juveniles stopped whatever they were doing and wherever they were, and they came to the fathers. And in very short order, the whole ecosystem of that area and all the uh, misdemeanors and misbehaviors and crazy things that they were doing, not only with animals but also with humans, came to a halt because they suddenly had uh, older uh, behaved uh, mod role models in their lives and all the testosterone that was in, literally inside these male elephants that they didn't know how to control. Suddenly they had someone to look to, someone to aspire to, someone to kind of put in check into their life in front of them and with them to keep them on track. And if elephants need father figures to guide them in our society, my point is how much more do we in humanity need actual fathers, earthly fathers, to be able to guide us in our society. Can I have an amen out there? We can't, my point is not to beat up the men on Father's Day. We can't do it without the men. We, men, we need examples today. Children need examples. People need examples to look up to. You are one of those men that somebody needs to look up to. Can I have an amen out there? I'm on a soapbox and I'm going to stay on it a little bit longer because I believe that culture is whispering in the ears of men today, you are not necessary. And it's a lie. 
And it's very, very insidious. It happens in the school systems. It, it happens in people's homes. It happens through media and television. I was watching a television show just the other day, and it was a family show, and a child in the family was standing right beside his father, and the mother was in another room, couldn't even be seen, and the boy did not know how to spell a certain word. The word was family. And he yelled, Mom, Mom, how do you spell family? While the father looked at the child as if to say, I'm right here. Why don't you ask me? See, we're living in a society that is communicating to you who are men that your voice is not needed. And I'm just telling you, ladies, you get to listen in on this message today. And you get to eavesdrop a little bit. And, 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 if, and if I didn't say that, you would have anyway. But... But men, listen, I want you to know your voice, your presence, your example, your leadership is needed. You are necessary. Turn to a man and say, you are necessary. <laughs> and so I want to encourage fatherhood. I want to encourage it. But underneath, underneath fatherhood is something under the hood that keeps us from being effective as fathers. And I want to get to that in a minute. But here's our main text today, if you're following me. And, and you can follow also on our church app, which has the notes right in it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4, our main text, verse 14 and following. I'm going to read it to you. But let me just tell you the context of this text. This was, this was Paul writing to uh, a letter to the church of Corinth in the city of Corinth. They were Corinthians. And these, the particular people in this particular city uh, were a little bit like, think they're all that. They were a little arrogant. They were very wealthy. They're also pretty immoral, too. So he's trying to bring some correction to the church so they could influence the city, right? Because some of that stuff was creeping into the church. But he goes to a core issue here, and he's, in this particular point of the letter, he's trying to encourage them, not shame them, he says. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, it says, I'm writing this to you guys, not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. So the Apostle Paul, a planter, church planter, uh, a leader of leaders and pastors, but more importantly, a spiritual father. He's a spiritual father, and he's talking to people like they're his kids. Now, you don't have to accept this, but if this is your home church, I've accepted this. I'm the spiritual father of this church. For some of you, see me as a spiritual father, and that's, that's good for you, not good for me. I mean, it's not about me is what I'm trying to say, okay? It's good for me too, but I, I, what I mean is it's good for you. God sets things up like that. And so, Paul is talking to like his kids. So I want you to see this message like I'm a spiritual father just trying to share some things with you, not to shame you, but to help you, just like Paul said. And he goes on and he says, this is the meat and potatoes of this verse. He says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. So you could have a lot of people that are influencing you, that are communicating with you, that are giving you information. You could have more podcasts and, and more books that you read and more degrees than Dr. Fahrenheit, but it doesn't mean that you're okay because what you need is a father, Paul says. And Paul says, I became your father through the gospel. So he's basically telling you a secret sauce to some of the dysfunction that we all come from, including me, everybody. We all come from some dysfunction. And the secret sauce is found in the spiritual family through the gospel. You find family, you find parents, and you can find what's missing in your life, which in many cases is the need for a father. Are you with me? Thank you for the 10 people that are with me. I pray, pray God bless you. The rest of you, I'm praying 
longer. But it says, it says, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. And, and, and he says, for this reason I sent to you Timothy, my son. So he refers to not his biological son, Timothy, but he refers to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he says, whom I love, so he's bestowed that upon him, who is faithful to the Lord. So he's watched his life and his character. And then through his life, you'll see some things. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ. So his spiritual son was reflecting his spiritual father's life, which he learned and received from Christ. Are you with me? That's why 1 Corinthians 11 says, follow my example as I follow Christ, as I follow Christ. So he'll remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. So there's this congruency that was in the Son. Let it be said of you that you're set in a family, that you have spiritual parents, and that you're reflecting those spiritual parents everywhere, everywhere you go. Amen? That's our, growth, that's our growth plan. But what keeps us from that sometimes is the personal pain that we have experienced in our lives. And that's what I want to unpack because some of you, when I start talking even about the subject of the Father, it, there's a visceral response. You kind of get unnerved. It's like when pastors talk about money. It's like, you know what I mean? It feels like you get a reaction. Or in certain subjects. This is one of those subjects that sometimes gets us, and it's because... Sometimes of the things that happen to you because of your father, earthly father, and sometimes the things that didn't happen because of your earthly father. So sometimes it's not overt, you know, uh, egregious, blatant sin against you. Sometimes it's the absence and the negligence, the vacuum of effective fathering. And so, mothers, I'm not belittling your role this morning. This is just Father's Day. Can we talk about Father's Day? Is everybody okay with that? I'm just trying to say this is an essential critical relationship in people's lives and that's why the devil attacks it so much the devil tries to come in there and get you to focus on the fight you had with your old man when you were young I had fights in this room before this room was an auditorium literally screaming yelling matches with my father in this room right here I can I can remember that and, and the school was meeting below we had a Christian school and the administrator of the school cleared the building hey everybody mandatory recess we're gonna have to all evacuate all the teachers are like, what's going on? I can't say, but just listen, you'll hear. You know, and we were just, Wah. That's funnier than you realize, but just being honest. But the devil tried to get me to think it's about the fight with my father. The devil tries to get you to think it's about the person who's the object of your difficulty. It's not about that. The devil's trying to get in there, and he's trying to separate you on this level so that he can separate you on this level. He's trying to thwart the very plan of God by how hard he hits you on this earthly level, and in particular with your earthly father. And so I want to present a case to you, but first biblically and then statistically. Biblically, Matthew, Matthew, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. It's the last book in the Old Testament, and it's kind of the conjunction between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's communicating, uh, it's a messianic prophecy. Of what Jesus came to do. Now, we all think that Jesus came to uh, deal with the sin problem and restore our relationship with God the Father. That's correct. But he also wants to restore your relationship here on earth with your fathers. Look at what it says in Malachi chapter 4. So here's the biblical case for what I'm saying. It says he, that is Jesus, will turn the hearts of the fathers. That's most translations say fathers, some say parents. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. 
Now, if that doesn't happen, you can see destruction. Is that not kind of what we're experiencing today as the nucleus of the family has been unraveled, the redefinition of the family has been uh, purported as we've seen people uh, separated from uh, uh, their family living more independently than, than, than interdependently in our homes. And as a result, we see destruction. Yes or no? And you don't have to agree with me, but it's true. You're just wrong. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's what's going on right now. And so the, the, Jesus came to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to their children. But because we all have stories of being where our father messed up or because of that now we're messed up, we carry those things into our future, and it affects us in adverse ways. In fact, here's the statistical side. I gave you the biblical side. I was reading the um, American Census Bureau, as I do every day, not. Um, and it said this, recent statistic, it says, America is the leading nation in fatherlessness in the world. We are number one. Don't you love being number one? Not in that. We're number one in fatherlessness, 18.5 million homes without fathers. Let me just say something. It's worse than that, though, because the statistics, the census is recognizing fatherlessness as a father that's physically not home. But there are fathers who are physically there who are not home. Because fatherlessness is not a proximity issue. It's a presence issue. It's a presence issue. Are you with me, everybody? And so this, these issues we see, anxiety skyrocketing, depression skyrocketing, suicide elevated, all these. You pick a thing, I would submit to you that statistically it's connected to this fatherlessness issue. Look at some of the stats. They're going to put them on the screen. I won't read them all. But I'll get out of the negative in a second, but I'm trying to make a point. Fatherless children. Five times more likely to commit suicide. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. Twenty times more likely to have behavioral problems. Seventy-three times more likely to be abused. Another, another round of stats. Fatherless homes produce 90% of all homelessness and runaway children. Are, they're a result of fatherless homes. Look at all the behavioral disorders suicides, high school dropouts, pregnancies. It's all connected, everybody. Daughters of fatherless homes, 53% more likely to marry as a teen, 92% more likely to divorce if they marry, 92%. 164% more likely to be a single parent. So I'm not doing that to make us sad, more mad. I want you to see the biblical case, Malachi 4.6. I want you to see the statistical case here from the American Census Bureau. But here's the good news. Everybody ready for good news? Yeah. Every, for every problem, God has a solution. Amen. Can I have a better amen? amen? For every problem, God has a solution. He wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children back to their fathers. So how do we solve it? Three principles. Let me give these to you quickly. But as a setup, let me say it like this. And this is, this, I'm coming for blood here on the men, just real quick, okay? Here's the thing. Guys, we're notorious when we have something wrong in our body. We don't go to the doctor. Raise your hand, men, if that's true. Yeah. It's like some of you are lying. It's literally like 90%. We're all that way. It's horrible. Right? We got a problem. We could have an infection. We could have whatever going on inside us. We're like, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Like, what? 
we, we do that all the time. And we do this with father wounds more than anything. There are just some things that won't heal unless you go to the doctor. There are some, let me say it again, there are some things that will not heal unless you go to the doctor. So here's the first point. Allow God, the great physician, to heal your father wound. you got to go to the doctor for this. Jeremiah 6.14 makes my point. It says this, my people are broken, or you could say wounded, and they put on band-aids saying, it's not that bad. You'll be just fine. But things are not just fine. This tendency to downplay, just, just sweep it aside, just bury it. You know what? The Lord showed me this word. He said, he said son, tell, tell these men, tell these fathers, tell these future fathers, tell these sons, you have internal bleeding with this father wound. Everybody can't see it, but there's internal bleeding going on spiritually. It's killing them. They don't even realize it, how it's affecting them. Now, let me, let me try to unpack what a father wound is. I wrote this definition in my notes. The, a father wound is what, Derek? It's the absence of love from someone's birth father or father figure, coach, teacher, or spiritual father, pastor. I'm so sick of church hurt. Churches don't hurt people. People hurt people who go to church. Can I just say that? Can we just eliminate church hurt from this whole thing? That's what the devil trying to get people out of church. People out of church hurt people. People in church hurt people. People just hurt people. It's not churches that hurt people. Jesus came for the church. Jesus loves the church. And the church is Jesus' plan A. Sidebar. But that was a good one. Okay. So, father wound, the absence of love, okay, it could be from one of those people caused by varying factors. Neglect absence, abuse, withholding of love, and or affirmation. But what's really happening is at a higher level, the father wound, listen, you all have one at some level or degree. The father wound is blocking you from your heavenly father. So the father wound is very large, but the Bible says the father's love is very near. So God, he's an ever-present help in our time of trouble. He's very near, a very present help. But why can't we feel that, see that? Because the father wound is eclipsing the father's love so you cannot receive without dealing with that wound the connectivity, the intimacy, and the blessing and benefit that comes from the father's love until you let God deal with the father wound. It's good preaching. It's good teaching. Amen. It's true. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Thank God. So what happens, take it a step further. Let me just show. So when you have that, that view, uh, it affects, we have that wound, it affects your view. It affects your view of the world. It affects your view of relationships. It affects you phys- ph- philosophically, ideologically, spiritually. Everything is, is it's affected by the father's wound. And I'll say this, infected by it too. So stay at a super high level, but like, I hope you can receive this. So I think, for example, atheism principally is a person saying, I have no father, angrily. A, a person who is an agnostic, agnosticism is simply saying, I may or may not have a father. He's not looking for me, and I'm certainly not looking for him. Deism is saying, I have a dad, but he is far away. He, is, he doesn't care about my life and, or my needs. All of those beliefs are a father wound. A father wound. 
So if we could eliminate this very large wound, we could see a very near God. Are you guys tracking with this right now? Okay, so all of your, all of your uh, view of God is either a projection or rejection of our earthly father that's impacting the potential relationship you could have with God the Father. So I had a father wound. I'll give one example. Uh, I honor my father, first of all, my heavenly father today. One of the first things I said when I had my devotions this morning was happy Father's Day to God my father, who's the perfect father, who is a good, good father according to his word. And all, everything he does for me is in my best interest. And I believe so. I was honoring my heavenly father. I encourage you. In fact, let's do that for a second. Can we just say happy Father's Day to God our father? Amen. Happy Father's Day, God. You're a good, good God. You're a good, good father. And then I honored my earthly father. And uh, my earthly father went home to be with Jesus in November of this last year. Uh, but, my, but my earthly father and I had some friction. I just, you know, gave an example of that. But one particular, and this is kind of vulnerable, and I still, still smart about this a little bit, but, but I'm healed. Uh, you know, it just, it just brings it back a little bit. But I remember my parents, uh, my mother's in this service, but my parents in high school uh, made a decision they would not let me play football when I was in high school. And my best friend was the captain of the football team. We trained together uh, vigorously, uh, and, and he could not understand. Like, you, you have to play football. You are, you are made for football. And I, I, I knew that. I knew that. I was wired made for football. I still want to knock people out all the time, and I'm trying to get free from that. <laughs> but... Uh, but anyway, they didn't let me do it. They had, I had to work. I could only do so many sports in a year. And there were different, you know, uh, reasons for that. And, and I, had, I had hurt from that, deep wound from that. And, of course, I went into adulthood not realizing that that wound was there, only to discover uh, after reading a book that I turned, in turn gave to my father. He read this book. And after that, one day we were at Carboni's restaurant right around the corner here. It's this restaurant I've been going to since I was like eight years old. And we sat down at the table. He said, so I'm 35 years old now. I'm a grown man. I got a family, you know. And he goes, son, he goes, give me your hand. He goes, I, I need to get your attention right now. I go, okay, okay, okay. He goes, son, I, I read the book. And I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of your mother and I, I am so sorry that I did not let you play football in high school. I robbed you of something that was important to you, something that could have given you a, a tremendous joy and fulfillment in your life, blessing, reward, who knows what. I just want you to know, like, but he's, he's, he's kind of welling up a little too, I'm so sorry as your father. And you know, at 35 years old, I hadn't thought about that in like years, at least not in his presence. And I, I literally thought I was going to convulse. I was so emotional. I just started pouring out the tears right at this table. The lady comes over. I'm like, I don't want a freaking salad. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm I, was, I was literally falling apart at the table. And he's like, will you please forgive me? And I said, I forgive you. And I, something happened to me that day. I got healed. I did not know. See, those wounds are projecting something or rejecting something you need. Projecting something that keeps things at bay that you desperately need. A wall can help you, but it can also hinder you. And people are doing that with the wounds of their fathers. The book is called uh, Wild at Heart. And, 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 and I learned, and I'll just give you another example. I, as, uh, this is, I have a spiritual father that, that I got wounded by not too long ago, and I'm still kind of working something out. Here's, here's what I want to share to you. This is all I can share at this time. The story will come out like five years from now. <laughs> it will. But anyway, uh, but this is what the Lord told me to tell you, is that 
you know, some of you are going through, through some things, and if you don't get that wound, if you don't forgive people, what will end up happening is it will scar you. If you, if, if you forgive them, it'll just mark you. There's a big difference between a scar and a mark. Have you ever been marked by a moment? Have you ever been marked by someone's life? There's certain people in this room that you could say, that person has marked my life. Or somebody in your in the course of your life, saying, that moment marked me, that person's example marked me. But there are other people who have scarred you, and it's because of your response to wounds. Your response to wounds. So this, this, this book, Wild at Heart, Thank You for Prompting Me, was written by John Eldridge, top 15 book I ever read. It, it fundamentally deals with three things that every man needs. Every man needs a battle, a, a battle to fight for, a beauty to win, and an adventure to live. And, and it was an amazing, amazing book. But he basically says the reason most men don't experience those three things in life is because of a father wound. And then the expression of that father wound is men become what he calls a poser. A poser. A poser is somebody trying to, is trying to be something they're not to get something from someone that can't give it to them. They live their life posing, fronting, be try, be trying to be all that, but they're not all that. Are you tracking with me? And, and, and this happens in the home, in particular fathers. Fathers become one of two things. They're overly passive. So in other words, the, the wife is, is driving the ship. And, and she's the one who's taking care of this and taking care of that. And, and, and all he's in charge of is the remote control. And then you have overly aggressive fathers who, who are intimidating and bullying. And I'm the man of this house. Rah! Hear me roar. Usually there's those two extremes on the continuum. There's sometimes things in the middle there. But what is it? It's posing. They're posing for something that's missing. They're seeking something that's missing. And, and they're trying to be something that they're not, but they're really just there's something that's missing in their life. Isaac had two sons in the Bible. Isaac was Abraham, the father of faith's son. Isaac had two sons. The sons' names were Esau and Jacob. Esau was a man of the woods. He was a hunter. Esau was a man's man. You know, he's kind of rough and hairy. Literally, the Bible says he was hairy. And, and, and Jacob was a little more soft-spoken, probably more creative. You probably could sing like Josh or something. I don't know. But, but the Bible says that, that, that the father, Isaac, loved Esau, but Rachel loved Jacob. There was division in the home. And Jacob wanted the affirmation of his father. And so what Jacob actually did was he posed as his brother. And so on Jacob's death, uh, Isaac's deathbed, when he was bestowing the blessing on his children, he could barely see. This was a very memorable situation. It was a moment that would mark the rest of your life. He couldn't see very much, but he could touch to know the difference between his two sons. So one, one son's arms would be hairy and the other son's arms would not be hairy. And Jacob pretended to be his, his brother and put fake animal hair on his arms and stuck his arm there to be blessed and to receive the affirmation from his father. He posed because he was missing something. And he tried to pretend to get something that it so desperately needed. So whatever's missing, that's what causes, that's the problem with this father. So what do we do about it? The Bible says, and it gives us a recipe in James. Are you guys getting something out of this? In James chapter 5, the Bible says to us to get healed, two things, okay? Uh, it says basically, you're not just to confess to God something, you got to confess to people. So I'm going to skip ahead to like the end of the message for you because this relates to small groups. We're launching small groups this week. Can I just beg you? 
if, you, if you've never done it, get in one. And you're not getting in a small group so that you can uh, sing kumbayas and eat Doritos out of a bowl. And like maybe do a Bible study and get a little smarter and, and he, know what Pastor Derek's talking about when he does family lineages and stuff. No, it's so that you can come out from behind the fig leaf and say what James 5.16 says. It says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Amen. So it says, confess, pray, and what happens? You're healed. So people, you confess to God to get forgiveness for your sin. You confess to someone else to get healed from your wounds. Can I have an amen in this house? So at the end of the service, I'm going to pray for you about wounds, but I'm telling you, you won't get healed until you talk to somebody else about it. I mean, literally, you need to say, my daddy hurt, like I just did in front of the whole freaking church. When I was 35, blah, 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 blah. This, you need to do that with somebody. It's healing. It's just not like naturally cathartic. It's literally transformational. The process of healing will begin the instant you tell someone else, James 5.16. That's what will happen. Everybody with me? Okay? So you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. All right, number two. Here's what else you need to do. Is you allow God to heal you. God the Father to heal you. You got to find a father and you got to be a father. Find a father and be a father. I want you to see this clip from one of my favorite shows of all time, I know I'm super old school, but this one's good. I want you to see how a young man was so hurt by his father, but somebody else was right there to pick up the pieces. Will you show that clip for me? Daddy out. What's up? Well, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, some business came up I got to handle. So we're going to have to put a, our trip on hold. You understand? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, cool. that's cool. Just for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little longer. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Look, I'll, I'll call you next week and we'll iron out the details, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, yeah. It was great seeing you, son. You too, Lou. Yeah, um... I'm sorry, Will. <laughs> you know what, actually, this works out better for me. You know, the Slimmies of Summer come to class wearing next to nothing, you know what I'm Will, saying? Will, it's all right to be angry. Hey, well, why should I be mad? I'm saying, at least he said goodbye this time. I just wish I hadn't wasted my money buying this stupid present. I I'm sorry, I, you know, if there was... Something that I hey, can you know do. what? You ain't got to do no, nothing, Uncle Phil. Hey, you know, ain't like I'm still five years old, you know? Ain't like I'm going to be sitting up every night asking my mom, when's daddy coming home, you know? Who needs him? Hey, he wasn't there to teach me how to shoot my first basket, but I learned, didn't I? Hey, I got pretty damn good at it, too, didn't I, yeah, Uncle Phil? Did. Got through my first day without him, right? Mm. I learned how to drive. I learned how to shave. I learned how to fight without him. I had 14 great birthdays without him. He never even sent me a damn card. Down with him! I ain't need him then, and I don't need him now. Will. Nah, uh, you know what, Uncle Phil? I'm going to get through college without him. I'm going to get a great job without him. I'm going to marry me a beautiful honey, and I'm going to have me a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to be a better father than he ever was. And I sure as hell don't need him for that, because ain't a damn thing he could ever teach me about how to love my kids. How come he don't want me, man?
That represents expressed father wound. Clearly he had a father wound, but it was expressed. Many people never express that. But it's under the hood. And it's affecting everything that's happening in a person's life, the decisions they make, the way they make them, and the view they have on life itself and relationships itself. But you know what I want to highlight? Is that while one father failed him, another father was right beside him. You need to find a father, but you can't find that father until you forgive the father who failed you. I promise you, the father that God wants to put in your life is being eclipsed by the wound from the father that has hurt you so bad. He's right there. The father's right there. It's not just God the father. God will provide a spiritual father for you as well. But you have to, you have to, you have to forgive. You might say, I don't have a dad. I would just say, no, God wants to provide that for you. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, finally, all of you should be in agreement, understanding each other, loving each other as a family, being kind and humble. Because you yourselves were called to this so that you might receive a blessing. You receive a blessing in a family. Psalm 68, 5 verse 6 says, Father to the fatherless. This is God. He's a father to the fatherless. But how does he express it? Whose dwelling is holy. What does he do? God places the lonely in families. And he sets prisoners free and gives them joy. God wants to set you free. He does that by putting you in another family. A spiritual family. And inside that spiritual family is an opportunity possibly for you to find spiritual parents. I, I want to submit to you, you need both mother and father. You need brothers and sisters. It's all through the Bible. But for today, I'm emphasizing the importance of you having a spiritual father. And you're not going to find that if you're not committed to a spiritual family. Are you with me? Listen, I have three spiritual fathers in my life. And I can tell you this, summary, is they didn't come looking for me. Not one of them. I chased them all. And I still do to this day. I texted every single one of them first. Actually, I did it yesterday because I knew this would be a busy day for them. And I expressed honor to them. But I want you to know something. They, they influenced and impacted my life. To the extent that you are influenced by me, I want you to know it's because I'm under good fathers. Good fathers have shaped my life, fashioned my life, helped me be a better person, a better man. Here's my third point as I conclude, and this will go fast. To deal with the father wound, you have to relate to God as a father. My deepest passion is not big churches and big crowds and campuses. It's helping connect people to God, but specifically God the Father, because I know how important that relationship is. Why? Because the one who knows you best loves you most. The one who knows you best loves you most. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from who? God our Father. If it's good, it's from God. If it's perfect, it's from God because he is a good, good father. Can I have an amen out there? And he never changes. He'll always be good. He'll always be perfect. And he'll never fail you and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. But if you don't heal from your father's wound, you won't benefit from your heavenly father. So I wrote in my notes this, you forgive the father that hurts you so you can be healed by the father who loves you. You don't have a prayer problem, everybody. You got, you got a father problem. The reason sometimes guys don't like to pray, don't like to worship, can I just tell you? It's because it's a father issue. 
Dads, kids that know they're loved by their dads can't wait to talk to their dads. That's all prayer is. So I'm just telling you, there's something, there's something that you're, that's eclipsing this opportunity for intimacy, a connection, a powerful breakthrough with God, but God wants you to have it. And I'll, and I'll take it a step further, since this is 11 o'clock and I can do that. You know, Joseph in the Bible, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, probably next to David, he was brought to second in command of the most powerful nation of the earth of that time, Egypt. And the reason I believe fundamentally that he was used so powerfully, that he was lifted so high, was because he forgave so deep. He forgave, of course, his brothers. But he also, I think a key is, he had to forgive his father too. Because his father, through favoritism, created a dysfunctional home where his brothers would hate another brother. It was the lack of leadership, the passivity of the home, and the favoritism of the home that created all that dysfunction. And so sometimes the proportion of anointing and blessing in your life is directly connected to the proportion of forgiveness you give to your father. Amen. Amen. It's true. So I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for all of you. But I'm going to give you this final instruction. Get in a group and tell somebody about your father wound. Don't do it week one because you'll scare everybody away and they won't come back. <laughs> Unless you've already been going to that group, okay? I promise. I promise. It'll, be, it'll begin a healing process that will change your life. But here's what we're going to do in just a minute. We're going to sing this final song. You can take this away, somebody. Uh, we're going to sing this final song about God being a good, good father. And when that song starts, if you guys want to leave, you can leave. There's, there's something for dads downstairs and everybody downstairs. We want you to have sign up for a small group. But what I want to do is I want to give the opportunity for those with a father wound. Something that I've said in this message has touched you. Uh, some of the leaders and myself, I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to lay hands on people. And when we, when we pray for you, here's what I'm praying. My dad, one of the most meaningful things my father ever did, he did and it wasn't, he wasn't a perfect father, but he laid hands on me every night that I can remember for many years of my life, and he prayed for me. And this is what I think was happening. And this is what I'm praying for you. I hope it resonates with you. When your, when your father or father figure or spiritual father lays hands on you, whatever is missing, he's giving you. It's a blessing. Whatever's missing. The poser is deposed because of the laying on of hands. And I know there's some things that are missing in your life, and I'm not going to get complicated, and the people up here, I'm not going to pray a million words, but we're laying hands on you, and whatever's missing, that God would replace. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And for some of you who need that prayer, I want you to start walking down even right now. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for an anointing on this portion of the service. For the people that need prayer, Lord, I pray that, Lord, your anointing be here at the altar, that you touch each and every one with these father wounds. Lord, the last service, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of people that stayed to receive prayer because there was something under the hood that was affecting their relationship with their fatherhood. And I pray, Lord, for a supernatural anointing. Lord, everyone that leaves today, I pray that they find family, they find a father. Lord, that you heal people's lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.